Well, let's go ahead and get started this evening. Uh, we'll get over in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Open with a word of prayer. I uh, had a good Sunday morning today um, and uh, thank the Lord for it. Um, uh, we've got, uh, I guess, uh, two baptisms scheduled coming up through April. I'm looking forward to that. It's going to kind of be a neat thing to see some young people, um, you know, following the Lord in obedience. And uh, I think that's a great thing to see. So, but let's go ahead and pray and we'll get going this morning in our, or this morning and this evening in our lesson. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we are very thankful to be here and very thankful again for just a wonderful day that you've given to us. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would just um, not uh, discount anything that you've done for us or anything that you've given to us throughout this day, throughout this week, Lord. And Lord, I just thank you again for all of the, the blessings that we've received and uh, your word. And I pray, Lord, that as we endeavor to uh, look further into this uh, issue of life and uh, how to live this life uh, to please you, to honor you, that, Lord, we would just see the uh, the intent that your Holy Spirit has for us this uh, evening. We'd learn from it. We'd grow from it. And, Lord, we would uh, truly have an established mindset of uh, the key question that we see being asked in this passage. Again, Lord, I just thank you for all you've done for us. I pray this time pleases you, and this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, we've gotten through the first couple of verses here, and uh, we're again talking about um, this situation of uh, what is this life about. And I want to remind us again uh, that there is, uh, you know, as you go through this and as you study a lot of what Solomon writes, uh, Solomon writes, and in, in, in you kind of have to go through, and even with the book of Proverbs, as you look at all the connections and how they, they, they come together like that, when you look at it, there's some things that we find in there that are key verses, key passages. Uh, we find it also in the, you know, Pauline epistles where there will be one central thought that's communicated. The rest of those verses are supporting that thought. And, I, and, and in much to my error, I did not point this out when we first got through this, but the, the one that we see is the very last verse of chapter six. And I want us to take a look at this. In verse 12 of Ecclesiastes chapter six, it says, for who knoweth what is good for man in this life? All the days of his uh, his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow. For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? So there's a question that's asked. And it's, it's just like the question that he begins this entire uh, book with, where he starts in, in chapter 1, verse 3, What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? And this is all getting to that point where he answers the question in the last chapter. All of these questions. And as you go through, you begin to see all of those questions being answered about how it is uh, having God integrated into our life, having God as the center of our life, having uh, a mindset that is uh, centered around his word and his commandments. Uh, again, we get over to the, that last chapter and it says, fear God and keep his commandments. And that's that's what we're eventually getting to. So we kind of know the answer here, but when we start asking that question, you realize that there's a lot of people that ask this question. Even today, people will ask this question. They will say, well, who knows what's good for me? Who knows what what, what is good for my life? Because again, people will talk about be, things being good for various different people for various different reasons, right? 
Some people will focus on something else, and some people will focus on something totally different, and some people will have, you know, whatever it is that they think is good. But when we get down to it, the scripture gives us what is the good. And that good goes back to the whole duty of man, which is to fear God and keep his commandments. This is the mindset that that, that Solomon is trying to get us to. So as we move through this, let's go to verse 3, and we're going to see here uh, a little bit of this passage. We'll read down to verse 9. I'm not sure if we'll get that far. But he says in verse 3, If a man began a hundred children, and lived many years, so the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh in with vanity, and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything. This hath more rest than the other. Yea, though he live a thousand years, twice told, yet hath uh, uh, seen no, uh, no good, do... Um, uh, do not all go to one place. All the labor of man is for his mouth, yet the appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. So he identifies this and he says, look, you know, here, here's the concept. To summarize this group, you know, this group of verses with uh, uh, chapter uh, six, with uh, verse three through nine, he's he's getting down to the point of he's saying that people have this idea of covetousness. They have this desire. Keep your place there. Go over to the book of Exodus uh, very quickly. Exodus chapter twenty. Exodus chapter twenty. And we find in Exodus chapter twenty, uh, obviously the Ten Commandments that are given. And in Exodus chapter 20, you go through all of this and you get down to verse 17, the last commandment that's there. It says, thou shalt not cover that, covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. He says, anything that belongs to him, anything that belongs to what your neighbor has, he says, you should not be looking at that and wanting it for yourself. Why? Because that begins to set up that idolatry. And we know what covetousness is about. It is an idolatrous thing. And when we get to the, this, uh, uh, this verses over here in the book of Ecclesiastes, he starts talking about that, and then he describes it as that in verse 9, where he says, the wandering of desire. The wandering of desire. There are a lot of things in this world that people wander for desire. The internet has opened up a floodgate of desire for people to, to, you know, want anything and everything. And it's very readily, easily uh, uh, obtained and can have at your doorstep in a short period of time. Now, while there's benefits to all of that, what I'm getting at is, is sometimes people get so concerned with fulfilling the desires of their heart, they don't realize that it never fulfills anything. And that's what this passage is about as we go through this. I mean, mean, here he is talking about, you know, many children. We know what the Bible says about many children. Obviously, you know, having, uh, you know, children are the heritage of the Lord. It is a blessing that is given to us uh, for us to continue on with those, uh, uh, those, uh, those children and teach them and raise them up and, and uh, see their lives and, uh, and continue to have grandchildren and so on and so forth. 
And, and even though th- this individual that he's talking about, this man, even though he, and he uses these things as an exaggeration. I mean, to have a hundred children, man, that's a lot of kids. <laughs> and the wives are all sitting there going, nope, <laughs> not having it. And, and then he says, and live many years. Well, you know, that's stuff that was back over there, uh, post, uh, post the fall. That's back, back over there when all of those things, uh, occurred where we saw people living 950, 930, 969 years old. Noah living 600 years. All these people that you could see all lined up. And when you lay out them out on a timeline, you see that just about everybody knew everybody. Or at least were very closely removed from them and they were, they, they had some overlap and they were, they were in the same area and they could all say, well, hey, I knew this person, I knew that person, so on and so forth. But what we find here is he says, even though that takes place, even though a person lives many years, so that his day, so that his, uh, his days of his years be many, he says, if he doesn't have any good in his life, there's a problem. Now, I want you to notice here specifically the words he uses. It says here, so, and his soul be not filled with good. His soul filled with good. Now, let's think about this for a second. You know, we, we, we always come to that, uh, that, uh, that ridiculous question. Is the glass half full or half empty? And, 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 and everybody tries to argue to see whether that person's a pessimist or an optimist based off of that question. I look at it and, and then the person that asks the question is, you know, they, they don't want to ask me that question because they know that I'm going to overanalyze it. If I can overthink it, I will. So I do. And I look at it and I say, well, I have no context. And they're like, what do you mean you have no context? What is that? No, there's half empty or half full. Well, let me ask you this question. Did you fill it up and then you took it out? Or did you start filling it up and you filled it halfway? Which one is it? Did you take out or put in? I need to know this. This is context because then that was going to determine whether it's half full or half empty. Because if it was filled and you emptied half of it, it's half empty. If you took it and you put it under the water spout, you filled it halfway, then it's half full. And they're like, just leave me alone. <laughs> just go away. You know, you're not falling for this. And, and then you get dumped into the analytical, you know, mindset. And those are the people that the pessimists and optimists don't want to be with. But you understand what I'm talking about is, is obviously when we look at this life, we have to ask that question. Our, our, what is our life filled with? You know, here he is talking about an individual that fills his life with children, that fills his life with many years. I mean, think about that. If you were over there and you were one of these guys that just lived to be 900 years old, let's just say 900 years old for the sake of, you know, keeping a straight number, 900 years old. I'm like 48 and I was like, wow, I'm already exhausted. But anyways, <laughs> um, you know, try to keep up with, uh, with, 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 with life in general. But even back then, maybe it was a little easier and maybe, you know, you had, the, uh, you know, enough endurance to continue to go on and go on and go on to a point where you weren't really starting to get into, you know, elderly, uh, um, uh, issues until you were like in your 800s. I mean, you'd have time to learn that language that you wanted to learn. 
Granted, there was only one language, so there we go with that one. <laughs> you, I mean, granted, you have, you'd have time to learn to be a blacksmith and then a carpenter. And then if you wanted to, you could probably be a plumber and an electrician and so on and so forth, whatever it is. You could, you could sit there and you could be the jack of all trades and actually be good at it. Because if you did that for a 100 years, you'd probably have it down. So just say you limit it down to, you know, the first, you know, 100 years, you're just learning about stuff. In the last 100 years, we'll go ahead and carve that off. So you got 700 years. You, lose, you learn 700 new trades or seven trades and do those for 100 years. Or even you could do one every single year and do it for a year. And then you have 700 new things you could do. And you fill your life with all that knowledge and all of that that experience and everything else, I mean, you, you would have everything. If you wanted to try bungee jumping, you could try, try it. You wanted to try this, you want to try that. You, I mean, all, whatever it is your heart desired, you could do if you lived that long. But he says this, he says, look, but if your life isn't filled with goodness, then there is a vanity that exists. Now, again, when we start talking about goodness and we start talking about that which is good, let's go back to what we were talking about this morning in Sunday school. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We're talking about the goodness of God. If your life isn't filled with the goodness of God and doing his desire of good works, the commandments that we see that he tells us that we're supposed to follow... And let's not kid ourselves. Look, I'm not talking about the commandments where we go out there with the, you know, the borders on our garments and, and the sheep and the turtle doves and the sacrifices. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about, let's just focus on what God tells us in the New Testament, just for a moment. There's a lot of commandments that are in the New Testament. There's the law of Christ, fulfilling it, bear ye one another's burden. We have that one right there. There's other things that in there that are commandments. Rejoice evermore. In everything, give thanks. I mean, we keep going through. We find there's a lot of things that God tells us to do. And if our life isn't filled with those things, as he talks about it, he says it's a, a, a you know, in the previous, he said it's vanity and evil disease. And he, he gives this comparison here. And he, he shows somebody that even if your life was filled with all of those things, you're having a large family and living a good long life. And you don't realize that that's, that, that, that is the goal of some people. They just want to have a family and just live a good long life. Enjoy them, enjoy the kids, enjoy the grandkids, maybe enjoy great grandkids. And they get to do that and then it's, it's all right there, right? I want you to think about this for a second. He says that somebody that is essentially stillborn is better than the person that has no good in their life. Now that's a pretty drastic comparison because we would have the mindset of thinking, well, come on, there's got to be some good, but no, he said filled with good, not just having some good in his life. He's saying filled with good, filled with good. (laughs) What did Jacob say when, when, when Pharaoh had a question for him? So here's Joseph and he brings his dad in and says to Pharaoh, Hey, this is my dad. I want to introduce you to. And, and Pharaoh starts asking about it. And, and what is Jacob's response about his life? Goes, you know, this evil. <laughs> Jacob went through a lot of stuff 
Could you imagine that? There he is thinking for how many years, for decades, that his son is dead? And then finding out that he missed out on all of that stuff? Finding that he missed out on his son's marriage? Finding out that he missed on his grandsons being born, Ephraim and Manasseh? Finding out, you know, all of these things that here he is, his, his son, whom he loved and cared about and really treasured, is now the second in charge of all of Egypt. You know what he says? There's evil. He missed out on some stuff. He had, he had, a, he had a difficult life, Jacob did. But, but, but when we take a look at this, Solomon is saying, look, somebody that has had no life at all is better off than a person that just spends it not having any good, not being filled with good. He's very, very blunt about this in this passage. He says an untimely birth is better than he. Because he starts going into this comparison. He says, For he cometh in with dark, uh, with, uh, with vanity and departeth in darkness. His name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun nor own anything. This hath more rest than the other. And, and again, that verse four and verse five is talking about that individual that is essentially born without life. And he says that person has more rest than the other person that spent a long life trying to find something to fill it. This is, this is, this is really heartbreaking when we think about this. I mean, both situations are not good. Both situations are, are really truly just very sad to even begin to think about. But here he's saying somebody has more rest than the other. Somebody has more rest than the other. Here's this individual that he lived his whole life doing all these things and there was nothing good with it. Could you imagine a person getting up to, to, to heaven, standing in front of Jesus Christ? Now, praise the Lord, at the great white throne judgment, you know, th- things are taken care of. Our names are found in the Lamb's book of life if you have trusted Christ as your Savior. If you have not, well, you've got a big problem. But here you go to the judgment seat of Christ where the things that we've done for the Lord, they're going to be judged whether they're good or whether they're bad. And you're going to go through and see what the intent was and what the motives behind it were. I mean, it's not just the volume or the quantity. It's about the quality. And he's repeated this over and over again. Different people are going to have different volumes. And he's fine with that. But what he wants to see is what's the quality of the work? Why was it done? Was it done for the glory of God? Was it done based off of the fact that we have been a, a redeemed people? Was it done because we truly did care about what the Lord cares about? And those are the souls of men and women. And what we see here is he's saying, look, that guy that gets up there and stands in front of God. And he says, okay, what did you do with your life? Where's the good that was done? You had, you you had 900 years. You had 500 years. You had 100 years. You had 70 years. What did you fill it with? There's a little bit of unrest that's there, knowing that. 
There's there's unrest with that person sitting there thinking, man, really, what have I done? And I tell you, this should be a common, you know, continual reflection in our life. Am I doing what I should be doing for the Lord? What am I filling my life with? What am I filling my life with? You know, here as he goes through this, I mean, eventually he gets to the point where he says both are going to pass away. Both are going to pass away, but the one who, 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 uh, um, uh, used these things in not the right way, uh, this individual is going to have the lack of rest. Even if a person doesn't even have a chance to use it and use the life is better off. But a person that uses it incorrectly, that's the one that's going to have some difficulty in rest. And why is that? As we go through here, we see all of the things that he starts mentioning here, talking about the appetite and talking about other things, talking about riches that he's talked about. He says all of that that we fill our lives with is worthless. I want you to take a look over at the book of Psalms. Go over to the book of Psalms, chapter 49. Psalms, chapter 49. Psalm chapter 49, and, and, and I remember one of the first times that I read through the book of Psalms, and I read this passage, and it was one of those ones that you'd read through multiple times, and then you read it, and then it, like, hit you. Psalm 49, verse 6. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give God, give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it seeth it's forever, that he should live forever and not see corruption. Even with the good intent of buying a redemption, not for self, but for someone else, God says it's not, it's, you can't do it. You can take all of the wealth of, let's go ahead and take all of the wealth of, of, of just, you know, some of the big ones that we know about. Let's take the wealth of Bill Gates. Let's take the wealth of, of Bezos. Let's take the wealth of Musk and put it all together. Let's say they don't at all, donate it all, pull it all in one big pot, and they say they find one guy that's worthy of it, that they want to redeem his life, and that person right there, once that life is redeemed, they get eternal life, they get to live forever, you realize that that's not, it will never even match it. Can't even, can't even pay for it. Can't even pay for five seconds. Why is that? Because it's precious. The redemption price is precious. Well, what do we know is precious? As Peter says over there in First Peter, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that's precious. And it is with his precious blood that he bought us. That's the cost of redemption of a soul. And even though these people come together and say, hey, we're going to donate all of this and we're going to be paupers and we're going to be poor and we're going to, we're, we're going to be the ones that are going to be homeless and we're going to give it all to this person so that that one person can have that, you know, that, that redemption, it still wouldn't, wouldn't make it. It still would not work. And here he makes it very clear. He says, none of them can by any means redeem his brother. Somebody that he truly cares about, he can't buy it. You know, you can't save anyone else in this life. 
Why? Because salvation was, was done upon the cross of Calvary. The question is, is whether you are going to receive that. That redemption price has been paid. Are you going to accept that redemption? Or are you going to reject it? I mean, we're, we're getting down to, to, to the, the, the key things that Solomon is really wanting to communicate. Again, we look at these things that he talked about over in Proverbs and the dark sayings that are here, and some of these are a little bit more easy to, to kind of understand. There's a little more light to them, but they, they, they do become dark very quickly, and this is a very dark subject matter. But he's saying, look, here, there's a better life than, than just filling it with stuff. Because if it can't even purchase one person, then what's it worth? This is all vanity. Turn over to uh, Psalm chapter 52. Psalm chapter 52. <clears throat> and take a look at what he says here in verse 7. Talking about, uh, uh, you know, another individual says, Lo, this man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Who's that? It says the righteous shall also see and fear and laugh at him. Well, you know who he's kind of talking about here? He is very clearly pointing out the person that has rejected God. In the end, this person that did not make God his strength, but trusted in something else that could be could easily be taken away. Did not Jesus Christ say, lay up your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust doth not corrupt, where thieves and neither thieves break through or nor steal? What do you think about that? Man, we're living in a day and age where like thievery is just on the day. It's going crazy. It's going crazy. The statistics, I saw some of the statistics the other day because I was looking at some of the sheriff candidates and oh my word. We're talking about theft and things. Property theft is just, I mean, it's, we're talking 200, 300% increases in certain areas. That's insane. But here we look at this and we think about what he's talking about. And he says, look, here's this person. He, he trusts in all these things that can be taken away. But notice how he tried to strengthen himself. He strengthened himself in wickedness. The opposite of what is good. The opposite is what is, what is good. You know, you take a look at some of those lifestyles of those individuals that have all that money. Uh, it gets kind of interesting very quickly. Now look, I understand not all of them do that, but you get some of these individuals that they get, you know, uh, um, drafted into the NBA or NFL or, or MLB right out of college or something of that nature, and they're making pretty good money and they're making millions right up front. I mean, uh, and, and some of them have to go through these financial courses because they realize, you know, hey, here's this, you know, 20, 23 year old guy that's just all of a sudden now he's gone from, you know, barely making ends meet to now he's making three, four million dollars. And then he's got like this, you know, $10 million signing bonus. And they're saying, look, don't go out and buy all the cars in the homes, you know, buy one car, buy one home and just be good with that. Because you've got to make that last for the rest of your life. Because there will be a point where you can't play that game anymore. And what we see here is we see that that even the world understands some of that financial things. But you see some of those people, what do they wind up doing? They take all of that. They take all of that. 
And they just devote it to wickedness. Devote it to wickedness. You guys remember that big uh, uh, seven or several years ago about Michael Vick and the dog fighting thing? Here he was a big NFL star and he had his dog fighting rings and everybody was mortified and horrified by it and what had happened and what was going on. And I mean, he, he, he lost a lot. And now he's, you know, I, I don't know. He's, he's obviously not doing very well financially. A lot of fines and a lot of, you know, things that he has to take care of with lawyers and all sorts of stuff. And he's not playing in the NFL anymore and all of this. He filled his life with wickedness. You see these other individuals, they fill their life with wickedness and then they, then, then next thing you know is they, is they wind up with some disease. They fill their life with wickedness and then they realize they spent all their money just like the prodigal. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. You can't strengthen yourself in wickedness. Turn to Proverbs chapter, or uh, Psalms chapter 62. Psalm chapter 62. Take a look at another one here in verse 10. Psalm chapter 62 and verse 10 says, Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set your, not your heart upon them. Look, there is nothing wrong if the Lord blesses you and you have money. Okay? There are people, you know, that, that know how to invest and they invest well and they manage their funds correctly and they're good stewards and things of that nature, and the Lord has given that to them, and they're able to do that, and they're able to handle it, okay, great. But I will tell you this, there becomes a problem when that person begins to trust in that more than they trust in God. I think we've learned over the last few decades that if you trust in stock markets and things like that, that they can come back and bite you. I remember my folks telling me that their their 401k stuff just about got cleaned out when that recession, the Great Recession, hit. My dad still had to work because, you know, he didn't have money to retire. What they had put their, you know, uh, um, uh, I don't want to say they put their trust in that because they were still trusting the Lord. But, you know, again, they put all of the, the that money into there and it disappeared. It can happen any moment in time. I was actually talking to an individual uh, yesterday up at the camp. Uh, there's a there's a great old saint up there, and uh, I shouldn't say old, uh, but there's a great saint up there, and his name is Walt, and he is, I mean, his testimony is something else. I mean, we're talking prison time. We're talking hardcore drugs. I mean, we're talking about, and this man just loves the Lord. He, he, he just got so, so convicted about, you know, uh, seeing all of these addicts and he tried every single, uh, addiction program that was out there. And he tried Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and, and then he tried, uh, you know, Reformers Unanimous and he, he tried this and he tried that and he showed, tried all of these things and not only for himself, but also for, for others trying to help them. And he got to a point of where he went through eight years of that. And you know what? He, he was sitting there one day and the Lord said, Hey, don't you know I've got a really great recovery program right here? And he's like, huh. So you know what he did? He started his own from scratch. From scratch. 
And he sees individuals actually recovering from addiction because guess what? That's not their God anymore. There is a major change in their life and it's no longer just a program. It is a transformed life by Jesus Christ. And he was telling me, telling me about his son and he's like, his son is, uh, uh, got this great job and he got, uh, got, started getting a lot of money and, and he goes out and he buys the family a new car and he buys his graduating, uh, um, uh, uh, daughter who's a senior and you know, buys her a brand new car and then, you know, buys another brand new car, uh, to, to kind of supplement the other car. So he's got these three big car payments and, and he's just doing well and he's progressing and he's getting better and he's getting better you know, and all of this. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, what happens? He gets into a tiff with his boss. Yeah. Guess what his boss wants to do now? Fire him. He's got three car payments. Yeah, three car payments. Can you imagine that? I mean, all of a sudden, now what's he going to do? He can't place it in those things. He set his heart on the wrong thing. And there's his dad just kindly saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And his dad's like, well, I guess he's going to have to learn. His dad had to learn the hard way. And he's like, you know, he doesn't want to see his son learn the hard way. He doesn't want to see his son learn the hard way. You realize that's why we even have Sunday school. That's why we have junior church. That's why we have a youth group. That's why we have youth retreats. Why? We don't want to see them making the same mistakes we made. And we beg and plead with them for li- to listen. And one of the messages that I said up there, why is it some of us have to learn the hard way? You don't. You really don't. Please don't choose that option. <laughs> There's a different way. You don't have to. But here we see exactly what happens. Let's go over to another verse. Go over to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11. And here we see all of these individuals and they're filling their life with stuff and they're filling their life with, with family. They're filling their life with long life. They're filling their life with riches. They're filling their life with, with whatever it may be. And he's saying, look, if you're not filling it with good from Christ, from God then there's going to be a very stark comparison where you're not going to have rest in your life. Why? Because no matter how many cars you get and you shove into that hole, it will never fill it. No matter how many homes you have, no matter how many yachts you have, no matter how many you know uh, vacation spots or, 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 or money or in the bank account, it never fills that hole. It never satisfies. Proverbs chapter 11, and here we see in verse 28, says, He that trusteth in his riches shall fall. Now, we believe the word of God, right? We believe it's true. We believe that every word that he talks about, everything that he says, so when he says he shall, 
then that is a truth. It's a truth. It is a principle. Here he says very clearly, he that trusteth in his riches shall fall. You trust in anything else other than God, you're on your face. But what does he say? But the righteous shall flourish as a branch. What is righteous? We're talking about somebody that's righteous. It means they're doing the right thing. They're doing good in their life. Goodness and righteousness, I mean, they go hand in hand. They like come out of the same box. Man, have a little bit ta- different packaging, but they're, you know, and, and, and there's differences just ever so slightly, but they're very much kind of the same product. <laughs> and when we realize what he's talking about here, he's saying, look, somebody that chooses to do that righteous things, those are the ones that flourish. And again, we're not talking prosperity theory here. He's not saying, oh, you're going to get tons of money. Oh, if you do the right thing, you're going to be the next Bill Gates. Oh, please, God, no. We don't want that. Why? Because then we start trusting in something that we shouldn't be trusting in. We've got to get to this point where we trust him. And if you are going to do what is righteous, you know what the first part of righteousness is? You have to understand where the righteousness comes from. That means you've got to get as close to God as humanly possible. Why? Because he is righteous and he is holy. And when he gives us and imputes his righteousness unto us and expects us to behave righteously, as he says over and over and over again, then the result is, he says, we'll flourish in our life. And we're not talking physical necessarily, but we are talking about a spiritual flourishing. You can grow. Regardless of where you are in life right now, if you continue to do what is righteous, the Bible says you will flourish in your life. Now that is an amazing thing. So why is he saying, why is this man having difficulty? Why is this man not having any rest? Why is this man sitting there fretting and worrying over everything and and, and, and just sitting there living his life with all of this, desiring these things? It's because of, well, he's put his trust somewhere else. He's not doing what is right. He hasn't filled his life with good. He hasn't filled his life with good. Go over to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10. Now, again, let's just kind of keep in mind, who's writing this? Who's writing this? This is Solomon. You remember what Solomon did? You go over there and you start reading about how he built his palace. And you ever sit there and think about it and go, good grief. (laughs) You want to talk about opulent? I mean, at one point in time, along the roadside, he had these golden shields. He kept gold outdoors 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year to line a road that he occasionally would travel on. Gold shields. And we, 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 we look at something like this, you know, something like this, and we sit there and go, well, that's worth a, you know, a pretty penny. I mean, that's, that's some gold that's there. Okay, I get that. Could you imagine having a lot more of this, beating it into a shield, 
that stands yay tall, that you've got hundreds of them lining a roadway? I mean, let's just think about this for a second. What if Jay Inslee, our governor, decided one day, you know what, I think we need to make sure that everybody knows that when they come into Washington from Oregon, that they understand they're in Washington. And he goes out and he buys all this gold and he beats all these golden signs and puts them all along the roadway about every couple feet down there in, uh, in you know, coming up I-5. Well, I guess there's no room on I-5, so we'll have to go 205. So... <laughs> I mean, as part of the CRC, as part of, you know, putting the new, the new bridge in, he wants part of the bridge when you get to the Washington side to be all gold. You'd be sitting there going, you're crazy. My tax dollar spending that? No. Absolutely not. We'd be like, no, you're using just plain old steel, buddy. <laughs> you're using steel and concrete. You're not using gold to do that. But Solomon did. Keep that in mind. This is Solomon. But here we have in the book of Mark, Jesus Christ um, going through some things. And in, in uh, Mark chapter uh, 10, in verse 23, and it says, Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. You know, somebody sits there and argues about, oh, well, you know, this was all about this, you know, this, this camel and I had to go through this gate that was called the eye of the needle and the camel had to bow down. No, he's talking about the needle. You know how hard it is to get a camel to go through a needle? Unless you grind it up really fine. <laughs> Still, I don't think all of it's going to go through. It's going to get a little messy really quickly. <laughs> yeah, no camel meatballs, okay? No. I better clarify this. When we're talking about meatballs at the potluck, I see camel meatballs. We're done. <laughs> Potlucks are over. <laughs> Closing shop. <clears throat> yeah, no, yeah, no, no camel, please, no. But you understand, here he's talking about it's an impossible thing. Why? Because it is impossible for somebody that trusts in their own riches for their own goodness to get into heaven. It is not possible. It is not possible. He makes it very clear here. And this is the same thing that, that Solomon is. And Solomon was one of the richest men in the world. I, I honestly think that he probably would have made uh, Bezos and Musk look like, I don't know, paupers compared to him. But here we are is thinking about all of these things. And God makes it clear that the stuff in this world doesn't equal good. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6 to take a look at this subject matter. 1 Timothy chapter 6. <clears throat> and then we'll kind of move on here a little bit. But 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, in this passage, we know that there's the passage that talks about the love of money. and But here he is, and he, he, he talks about, in verse 17, he says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. 
that they do good. That they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. He says, look, if somebody is in there and they're rich, he says they need to be ready to distribute. Now, somebody's going to jump on that and say, see, communism! No, <laughs> no, 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 no. We're talking about good works. When's the last time that we realized how rich we are in Christ? Are we ready to distribute that? The riches of him, the riches of his mercy, as we were talking about this morning? And here he says, look, you know, there's individuals that they, they may be, they may have money, but you know what matters? That they do good. The good works that were ordained unto over there in Ephesians chapter 2. The reason why the Lord has saved our souls and that we can please him with all that we do, that we can fear him and keep his commandments. That's our whole duty, right? This is what Solomon is getting at. You go back over there, Ecclesiastes chapter 6, or and and uh, you see there in verse 5, he's talking about there's no rest that's going to be found in it. And all these things that they lay up for themselves and all of these things that they work for, it's it doesn't get anything. There's no rest. He even goes a little bit further in verse 6 where he says, Hey, though he live a thousand years twice told, yet hath seen no good, do not all go to one place. He's saying, look, in the end, whether it's the untimely birth and the person never sees the sun or the person that lives 2,000 years and never does any good, you know, in the end, they all go to the same place. They all die. They all die. They all go to the grave. And then from the grave, guess where? You got There's two places that they go. So he makes this very clear here, whether you know it's going to be with the Lord or whether it's going to be in eternal torment. But here he's saying, look, you know, in this life, you realize everything at some point in time, unless the Lord comes back and raptures us out of here, we're all going to die. That may not be a, a pleasant thought to think about, but I will tell you this. If you're trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And amen for that. But here we begin to understand that they all go to one place. What good does anything do afterwards? And as he said, you know, you, you, earn, you get all this stuff and then you give it to whoever's afterwards and what do they do? They mismanage it. They misspend it. You know, you, you, here you are and you, you leave a nice inheritance for the kids and you pass away and, and they go and what do they do? They buy an RV and a boat. You know, if the kids get left anything, you know, our daughters, don't buy an RV and a boat, please. (laughs) Just don't. It's not worth it. (laughs) The money pits that they are. But you, you see how that's how people operate today. That's how people operate today. You know, they all go to one place, that's death, regardless of their length of life, whether it's short, whether it's long. And you know what? It's all vain if good is not present. It's all vain if good is not present. Go over to Psalm chapter 73. Psalm chapter 73. 
And I want us to see verse 1 here. You know, this morning we were talking about goodness and the goodness of God. In verse 1, I mean, it's just, it's just such a great verse in Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. You know, this is all God wants and desires. Why is that so hard sometimes? Well, it's because we want what we want. It's called our will. And some people call it a sin nature, but I like to call it our, our you know, our will. Because let's just, let's just be honest about it. Let's not try to gussy it up with fun language. No, it's our will. <laughs> it's what we want. And that's what, what Paul was talking about over there. You know, lust came and guess what happens? He wanted what he wanted. Sin revived and he died. But what we find here very clearly is that the Lord is communicating that if good is not present in our life, it's not worth anything. And here he's saying, you know, what is good? God is good. I mean, you know how good he is to Israel? And I use this verse because here's the king of Israel, realizing how good God is to Israel. I mean, you look at the Israelites, and man, alive. How many times? Lord still loves them. Lord's still going to fulfill his promise. And even though we sit there and as, you know, beat, beat them up over what their decisions are, come on, just like you said over in the book of Romans, <laughs> take heed lest ye fall. Why? Because we can fall into the same traps as Christians. We can fall into idolatry really quick. It's not just common to the Israelites. Take a look down there at verse 7. In this passage, he says, All the labor of man is for his mouth. Yet the appetite is not filled. Over in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 7, he makes it very clear that a person sits there and they labor and they labor and they labor and they labor and they labor. But it's never filled. You ever wonder about that? Oh man, last night, so the, up at the camp, they, they served chicken alfredo with bread, warm bread. It was pretty good. It wasn't bad. Uh, it was good food. And, and, uh, they put bread down on the table in these little tin foil packs. It was all warm and, and nice and everything. And, uh, my wife looks at it and goes, what is that? And she said, the, 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 one of the camp ladies was, was putting it out and she said, oh, that's bread. And she said, don't tell my husband. <laughs> sure enough, I heard that. And I'm like, well, bread, what? <laughs> Zoomed in on it and I was sitting there praying, oh Lord, please don't let it be garlic bread. Please don't let it be garlic bread. Now I love garlic bread. Okay. And I would have cheated and paid for it. But, you know, garlic and me have become to a terms of, of, you know, a truce. You don't, I won't mess with you. You don't mess with me. <laughs> it's kind of me and yogurt. We had that agreement a long time ago. We just don't mess with each other, right? <clears throat> you stay on your side of the fence. I'll stay on mine, right? <clears throat> and I'm sitting there praying and I open it up and it's just warm, fresh bread. And I'm like, thank you taking, you know, chunks of it out. I, I honestly, 
I will, I will confess, I might have been a little gluttonous. I think maybe I had about six pieces of bread. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know, you put, you put a loaf of bread in front of me like that, and you know, I'm sorry, the glutton comes out. I don't know what to say. Uh, I will, I will confess my sins so that I might be healed by, I mean, you know, I'm looking at that going, man, that's an amazing thing. But you know what happened this morning when I woke up? That bread didn't say, uh, didn't fulfill me forever. You know, at some point in time, you know, we might have dinner tonight. Who knows? Guess what's going to happen tomorrow? Yeah, hunger is going to happen. And here he's saying, "Look, you know, here here you are. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. Never stops. Never stops." Could you imagine just being supplied an endless thing of food and just never being filled with it? If you, if, if all you had was, I mean, just, you know, big hot loaves of bread. Maybe you're not into, maybe you're not into bread. Let's just say that you had somebody come and it was prepared for you right there so that when you opened the door, you had one pound of freshly cooked bacon. <laughs> Got Pentecostalism going on over there in the corner. <laughs> Guess what's going to happen? You're never going to be filled with it. Guess what you're going to want the next day? You're going to be sitting there at the door. You're going to be waiting for him just like you're waiting for the Amazon driver. You know? You're waiting for the Grubhub to come up the door and, and you know deliver the little you know bag of, uh, of, of of fresh cooked bacon right to your doorstep, and you're like, yeah. And it happens, <laughs> and it happens every single day at the same time. Man alive, you would call in sick to work <laughs> just to be at the door to get it right. And we think about this for a second, and you realize it never fills. So even all the stuff that we have. It never fills. You can try to stuff everything that you want in your mouth and it will never fill the belly of your soul. I don't care. And here he, he, he's even talking about family. And he's talking about, if you will, a good long life. It never fills it. But goodness, on the other hand, is something that endures. Goodness is something that continues to fill you over and over and over again. And I, I will say this. It is a very sustaining thing to trust the Lord. Regardless of what happens in this life. You know, you go over to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 18, and he says that uh, that by the sweat of the brow, that Adam's going to have to bring forth that bread, right? And some people sweat more than others when they work. The idea and the concept is, is that in order to get that uh, bread that we so love, guess what's going to have to happen? You're going to have to go out there and you're going to have to plant some wheat. You're going to have to plant a lot of weed. But before you plant the wheat, you got to go prepare the ground. 
So you got to break out the clods. You got to get the rocks out. You got to get it all ready for it. Get it prepared. Get it all taken care of so that the right ground is there, the right pH, and the right soil, and the right food. And you plant the right seeds, and you do all of that. And then you wait for it to grow, and then it grows, and then you get you make sure that there's no pests. And then you take that wheat and you harvest the wheat, and then the wheat's got to be separated from the chaff. And then you got to go take that wheat you know, grain, and, and then you got to grind it up, and then you got to get the flour and you process the flour and then you got to add sugar or milk or butter or whatever else you're adding to it to make a cake or to make bread or whatever it is. That's a long process, isn't it? Just for bread, cookie, brownie, whatever, right? All of that for that, that you get to enjoy and shove six pieces of bread down there and then to be hungry again the next, you know, next day. And he said, this is going to be your life. Now, that's because of sin. That's because of sin. But there's a different part when we trust the Lord. I want you to turn to one last passage. I want you to go over to Second Thessalonians, and I want you to see this. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians. <clears throat> Here he is teaching them a principle. <clears throat> And I want us to, to kind of back up here in verse 6. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, so look, there's a commandment, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which you received of us. He's saying you got to be careful about what associations you have, right? In verse 7, he says, For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. He's talking about following the right example. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought it with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we are uh, we have power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. You know what he said? He said, look, I'm not going to sit there and take your stuff. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go labor, and I'm going to get my own food. Here he is as you know, a pastor helping this church, coming along saying, I'm going to go do this. I'm not going to live off of you guys. I'm going to go ahead and do this the way. And he said, I'm going to do it as an example because I want you to follow me and be hard workers, be laborers. In verse 10, he, he says, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now, this is an interesting thing. <clears throat> you start thinking about this for a second. And from a physical aspect, we can definitely see some principles. You don't work, you don't eat. Man, I wish that was true today. But I want you to see something about this and think about it in a spiritual way, too. You know, if you don't labor for the Lord and study and receiving the bread of life, the Word of God, and the water... It washes and cleanses, and you're not laboring for those things. That's what's going to happen. You're not going to eat. You know what's going to happen? You're going to spiritually starve. You're going to spiritually starve. I say this, you know, coming to church is like eating out. You know you can't eat out all the time. It's expensive. It's getting even more expensive. So we eat at home. 
We prepare our own food. We prepare our own meals. And you know, some of us had to learn how to prepare our own food and prepare our own meals. Some of us had to learn to cook. We have to learn to cook for ourselves. Now think about this for a second. Where would we be if we didn't know how to do any of that? We would starve. We would starve physically. The same thing is true when it comes to our spiritual life. You fill your life studying this word, getting this into you, filling your spiritual belly full of the word of God. It sustains, and this right here is described as good. This is the best meal you will ever eat. The word of life. This is the stuff that Solomon's really, truly getting down to. He uses a lot of physical things to make a lot of spiritual application. And when he gets to this point of where he says, all the labor of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not filled. You know what? He's not necessarily talking about the physical things and the fact that we need to continually eat. He's talking about the spiritual life with filling it with everything else in this world and simply not having enough. No matter what we have, no matter what is in the world, it's still never enough. But God is sufficient. Just like this morning, I talked about what is good. Remember the definition. Sufficient and complete. Without corruption. Without defect. That is goodness of God. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to get into your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would just take heed to these things. We think about it, that, Lord, this physical life and these things that you have blessed us with, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would not be like Israel and let those become our gods. But, Lord, we would truly trust in you. We would seek you and desire you in our life on a day-to-day basis. Thank you again, Lord, for just a great day that we've had, just fellowshipping and worshiping you together, learning of you. And I pray, Lord, that we would take these things, we would apply them to our lives. Lord, we may please you and honor you and live for you throughout this week. That, Lord, we'd have opportunities to just uh, present the gospel to somebody maybe this week that needs it. Or, Lord, to be an encouragement to a brother and sister in Christ to talk about the hope that we have in you. Again, Lord, I just thank you for all you've done for us. And take us home safely tonight, please. And this I ask in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.